days since we had our initial conversation for you and I to be able to do this. I feel like I have a celebrity in my presence. You I bring so many childhood memories back to me. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and for reaching out. I'm so excited that we're talking. Absolutely. I mean, I just loved the fact, first of all, I love what you're doing. I love Thank you. this 30 something demographic that we are all just like trying to keep our heads above water, no matter what form or where we are in the country or whatever it is. And I am from Massachusetts, born and raised. So I love that Boston babe is doing this. So I'm so excited we connected. (laughs) Oh, that means the world to me. Well, you're not missing out too much right now. It's about 42 degrees here in Boston. So what's what's it over in um, California right now? It's 72 and sunny every day. (laughs) All right. Salt Usually. wound, salt Usually. wound. I miss I it. I miss those days. Um, do you come back here often? I try to get back east at least once or twice a year, kind of depending on what's going on. And, you know, there's usually births or weddings or something that brings us back. So, yeah, we definitely try to get back over there as much as possible because my whole family is still there. So oh, that's so we're the great. only ones here on the West Coast. Um, and it's funny. I wonder what your experience is. Maybe you feel differently. But for me, there was, as much as I do hate the cold and I'm like complaining that it's 42 degrees outside right now, there is just something about this time of year. It's very magical when you have the snow and the colder weather that really feels like Christmas. When I was living in LA, just something was off. And I just thought maybe that's because that's where I'm from. So it doesn't feel right to me. But I wonder... Other people have to feel that way too, right? When you think of Christmas, you think of the cold in the winter and LA just doesn't give you that. It's a little bit different, right? It's funny. I think that having been, you know, born and raised in Massachusetts and in New England, that there a hundred percent is that very hallmark connotation to what yes. the holidays is are supposed to look like. However, when you are born and raised California, you don't know that. You that's just like a dream that you see on TV. Yes. But having lived here now for eleven years, I like cold and snow on my own terms, and when I can control it, and when I can leave, and when I don't have to shovel. Like that's when I am so down with the cold and the snow. I I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. So, okay. I want everyone to hear sort of from you a little bit about your background, your story. But before we get into that stuff, I always like to start with a couple just basic and introductory questions. I mean, obviously we've hit the first one already. You're from Boston, born and raised, but um, why don't you tell people where you are now and how long you've been out there? Yeah. So like I said, I grew up in Massachusetts down in a super small town called Mattapoisett that even people from Massachusetts have never even heard of. Um, But it was about 11 years ago that I packed up a car with my uh, fiance at the time. He was my high school sweetheart and my husband now. And we packed up the car with two cats, a flat screen TV and some suitcases and drove across the country to start our lives out here and kind of make this home 
home. We both always had aspirations of living out in California. I was the little girl who at three years old heard the Entertainment Tonight theme song and came running into the living room because I was just obsessed with this idea of interviewing and entertainment and movies and television and all that kind of stuff. So I knew that this was where I ultimately wanted to land. And luckily, my high school boyfriend felt the same way. And we just kind of made it happen. That is so sweet. The two of you just sort of you, you know, you're all you've known for all these years, right? And you just went out there and you made it work and you follow your dreams and you did it together. That's, it's very rare to find that so young and have it still be so strong now and and have worked out so well. So kudos to you too, because I'm sure there's been some, uh, there's been a lot of hard work, you know, along the way to make that happen, but you guys really stuck with it. That's really special. Yeah, it's hard. And you know, what's funny is that we, it sounds super cheesy and nauseating, but like, I feel like there's this, this idea of all of our memories kind of include each other, which is very cool. You know, it's not that that like baggage that you go into relationships with kind of later on in life where you're like, oh, well, my last boyfriend, he did this thing this way and blah, blah, blah. All of our memories really include each other. And it's been a really cool experience. I love that. What a good way to look at it. Okay. All right. Moving to the next question. I always like to ask if you're comfortable sharing, what is your age? So I'm 35. I just turned 35 in August. Happy belated birthday. Officially mid 30s. I love it. Do you feel any different in your 30s than your 20s? Do you feel like just, you know, you're on the brink of like perfection, right? Like our 30s is the time to be alive. Oh my God. I thought you were going to say I'm on the brink of the 40s. I was like, please, no. no." Um, (laughs) We're not there yet. So actually, this is something that I feel like is a product or a result of being with the same person since high school is that I really don't feel that I've aged that much because I didn't have the wild 20s and the early 30s of going out and having all these like crazy wild stories. They all of our stories included each other. And we kind of I feel like we grew up faster. So I look at pictures of us in high school And it's weird when I think back of like, if I were to just picture my husband in my head now or picture him in memories from high school and everything, he looks the same all the time. Does that make sense? It's it's weird because we've just evolved together that I don't really feel like I'm this 35 year old mom because I'm still waiting for like, who's going to take care of me? Like, I still need to get my I need someone to drive me to soccer practice or whatever. Right, Um, right. So I just kind of feel like because we've been together for so long and we've had this evolution of growing up together that it's kind of I don't feel this very like daunting mid 30s vibe that a lot of people sometimes. Feel. Yeah, it's like you guys are are growing old with one another, but also keeping one another young. It's really kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. I like yeah. it. I like it. And then if you were born in August, what zodiac sign are you? Virgo? Oh, I'm such a Leo. No, such a I'm Leo. OK, so you're early August. Yeah, August 12th. Ooh, okay. You're so you're Leo through and through. You feel that. Totally. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There's there's no doubt that like I remember the first time I ever really understood people were like, oh, what's your sign? And I was like, I don't know. So I looked it up. And when I read the description to a Leo, I was like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It all That's makes on bread. Yeah. It all makes <laughs> sense. Bread. It all makes sense. Okay. And then my last sort of fun question for you. I mean, given your background and who you are, I feel like I have to ask 12 year old Casey, you know, all these interviews, who was your 
boy band crush from the 90s and early 2000s? Okay, this is going to be kind of full circle because it's amazing that I can share this story now, but it was 100% and is Justin Timberlake. Oh, I mean, always has been. I mean, I loved him from crunchy ramen noodle hair all the way till now. (laughs) And I actually just got to meet him for the first time in when was that the beginning of October? It was amazing. Wow. What what was he like? Was he kind? Was it short and brief? Did you get a little super nice? It was it was relatively brief, but he was performing at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles Gala. And uh, I was lucky enough to get invited. My husband and I went. It was the really the first time he's done a small kind of charity performance like this. Yeah was up against the stage. I could not have been any closer during his performance. I shared the story on my podcast. I like, saw on your Instagram. We, uh, yeah. You <laughs> and again, I have had the opportunity to meet hundreds of very influential and celebrity people throughout my career and my childhood and everything. And this was the first time I was speechless. And man, this is kind of turning into like the husband gushing episode, which I do not mean this to happen, but um, my husband went up to Justin when we were passing him in a parking lot and he was like, do you want to take a picture with him? And I was too nervous. I was, I was like, no oh, way. Yes, maybe, no, uh, yes, kind of. I've never been starstruck before in all of this time. And Justin was the one I was starstruck for. So my husband, who doesn't really talk to anyone, went up to Justin Timberlake and was like, hey, do you mind if we get a quick picture? So I was like, that's when I knew that I think that's what I was more shocked about was like, that just showed me that my husband will actually do anything to make me happy. Hubby of the year. He's like, let let my wife get a picture with her hall pass, please, please. (laughs) Totally. And I told Justin, I was like, this is a bucket list item. Like you have no idea. Um, The only other one now is Oprah and I will have my my celebrity bucket list checked off. That day will come. I am sure of it. But oh gosh, I am jealous. I was definitely a JT fan back in the day as well. I mean, who is? I mean, still am, of course. Totally. Give everyone at home a little idea of where it all started and then kind of walk us through how you got to where you are now which I know is a lot so I mean yes version right grab the popcorn yeah exactly exactly (laughs) no here first of all I love that you have such a like localized audience to the Boston area too because as I start naming places you're totally going to get where I'm talking about Uh, so it's great so when I was 10 years old, I went to an audition in the Watertown Mall. And it was, I mean, it was the late 90s. Everything happened at oh, a yeah. mall, right? So Radio Disney had just come into the Boston area and they were hosting an audition to find the next kid correspondent for Radio Disney for the Boston Network. And uh, if you remember, it was AM 1260 and they were basically just looking for a kid voice to do commercials and really do, you know, kind of events and be that little kid kind of court, like I said, correspondent for Mm -hmm. the station. So I auditioned and I went up on stage. I think they just asked like what I like to do after school. And because I am more was not the average 10 year olds for some reason at that time, I was taking a party planning class after school. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> like, you know, most people go to soccer practice. No, I was doing like an arts and crafts party planning. Yeah, class you're getting your extracurriculars in. <laughs> yeah. So I talked about that and apparently there was something that sparked the interest of the producers. So I got a call saying that I was going to be the kid correspondent for Radio Disney and I started doing some local events. And then uh, my mom was my Girl Scout troop leader. And this was like Troop Beverly Hills, but like in Boston, Um, (laughs) my mom was not about to go camping. She took us to New York City instead. And we went to go see Beauty and the Beast on Broadway and so she knocked on the stage door and was like, hey, so I have the kid correspondent from Radio Disney here. Uh, do you think she could interview any of the cast? And they said, yeah, just stick around after the show. Come down to the uh, orchestra pit and we'll send some people out. They sent out the Beast and Chip. And I was like, Chip I've never interviewed people. Right. Well, so here again, here's another full circle story is that uh, my husband made me a Disney character. I'm Mrs. Potts. <laughs> Wait, what? If you, my last name is Pot, so I. Oh, 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 that's Potts. true. That's true. I was like, wait a second, right? and what? Like, yeah, I thought it no. was maybe one of those like little like um, TV animations that they do or something. Oh, I'm like, no, what no, is no, it? Like, Let me I, I wasn't even thinking. Realistically, you are Mrs. Pot. Yeah, realistically, I've turned into Mrs. Pot. Disney is so, just embedded in every area. It of your really life. is. You know, <laughs> people always say that they're big Disney fans, and I always say like, I was raised Disney. You can be right. raised Catholic, you can be raised Jewish. Like, I was raised Disney, <laughs> and. Um, working for Disney, I had, you know, from that time of interviewing some cast members from Beauty and the Beast, I then went on and started interviewing celebrities when they would come into town on tour. So I got to meet Destiny's Child, Britney Spears, 98 Degrees. Uh, I'll throw the Boston one in there because you guys will know LFO. Oh, and heck yes. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh, so much LFO love. And you know what? Uh, LFO LFO had um, some forward thinking because Abercrombie and Fitch is coming back, baby. They've made right? their comeback. They made the, they made the comeback. And you know what? We still totally. like girls who are Abercrombie and Fitch, okay? 100%. And now they're just more inclusive and every right, girl can right. wear Abercrombie and Fitch. So it's cool. Um, anyway, so yeah. So I just kind of, I did that for six years. I would interview different artists and entertainers when they would come into the Boston area. I would host events at the Garden or in the Manchester Arena. And whenever Radio Disney kind of did some fun event, I got to emcee that. One of my favorite events was emceeing with some of the national DJs at the Boston Hat Show when 98 Degrees opened for or 98 Degrees did a concert. And the irony was that Jessica Simpson opened for them. And it was before Nick and Jessica were even like dating. And in my head, I'm like, oh, Radio Disney made that happen. We set that up. Of course. (laughs) That was us. Um, So that kind of really put in my head that I wanted to continue this interviewing ability and just kind of grow that into a career. I went to Emerson College for journalism and broadcast television. And after that, that's when we kind of decided, yeah, we're going to make the move to Los Angeles. And um, right after college, I started working for an entertainment marketing boutique agency in Boston. And I was coming out to LA like three or four times a year. And I just said, listen, I want to be the person on the ground there in LA and packed up that car, moved out here. Uh, That was in September, end of October. The president of the company called and said she was closing the boutique agency and going solely on a consulting basis. (laughs) So I had to figure out what to do. 
Luckily, we have a surrogate big brother and sister out here that my husband was family friends with. And I started working in his office, literally like in his file closet. And he was like, Casey, I don't care what you do. Just like help out the office, help do some office stuff and get yourself out there, figure out what else it is that you want to do. Thank and God in that time, I started like that. My gosh, right? totally like guardian angels are are real. Yes. <laughs> 100%. Um, especially moving to a new city and really not knowing what I was going to do next. So mm -hmm. uh, at that time, I started doing some food content, some food blogging for Kiss FM, My FM, Coast, Hot 92, all out here in LA, going to great restaurants. And I really loved the food scene. And I saw a posting for a social media and marketing specialist for Wolfgang Puck. And I'm like, hello, you're in California. Like, there's no one bigger in LA than Wolfgang Puck when it comes to culinary. So I applied and I got that job and I worked for uh, him and his catering and events team for six years as their brand manager. I got to go to the Oscars every year. I photobombed a picture of Wolfgang and Meryl. <laughs> oh my God. It was you need amazing. to find that photo. Right. Oh, I will. I have it. I'll send okay, it to you. Good. It's pretty great. It's just like me <laughs> in the background, totally creeping on Meryl Streep. But there was it hit a point where when Wolfgang wasn't available, I started doing their video content because I was the representative of the brand and of our division and everything. And I just I felt like I was hitting my stride. And then COVID hit <laughs> and the company that was twenty eight hundred employees went down to twenty seven. And it was just traumatic. And it was something that I don't think I properly grieved was losing that job. Like, I think because a lot of people lost their jobs all at once, it seemed normal that I don't think we kind of had the proper tools or the proper chance to like grieve the loss of these careers that so many of us had. That makes, I mean, that's such a great point because it almost was that, you know, oh, I, it's not just me, it's happening to everybody. Yeah. So you, it, you know, you don't want to seem selfish or self-absorbed, right. right? Because you nobody else does, or, you know, I'm, I'm not all out of my own here, but that doesn't take away from the experience itself, which is still that inevitable, oh shit moment. What am I going to do now? Right. Totally. But you didn't allow yourself to feel that because it feels wrong in a way. Right. Yeah. You feel so, like you said, you feel selfish. You feel like, um, at that point, misery enjoys company, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone was kind of miserable and everyone was kind of commiserating together. Yeah. So there wasn't that proper time where we could be like, oh shit, this really sucks. Right. And I'm really going to miss this. You know, we kind of looked at it as like, oh, yay, we're all laid off. And like, we have these, this time to figure out what's happening next. Mm -hmm. But it's, no, it was it was a, a beautiful experience that I was so grateful to have and then gets plucked right out. So it was really hard. And I kind of got forced into stay at home mom life. Um, I was with our daughter who she turned six next week. Um, so, Yay. I mean, a three year old in a townhouse in quarantine, like for 14 months was Ooh. pretty brutal. <laughs> pretty brutal. I mean, in that time, we did end up moving. We got a house with a yard and everything because we just needed to get out. We needed the space. But there was just this moment of like, okay, when things started to feel a little bit normal and she got back into a daycare program and was starting to be in school more regularly, 
I was like, what do I do? What's, what's next for me? And I've always had this passion and this desire to continue the whole talk show and interviewing thing. So I, everyone loves a reboot. So I dug down deep yes, we and do. I rebooted, right? I rebooted Casey's Corner that I originated on Radio Disney. I reached out to a couple people that thank God for Instagram and social media because I reached out to a few um, celebrities and past interviews that I had as a kid. And I got to re-interview Jeff from 98 Degrees, who was amazing, and Ashley from Dream. Yes, I listened to Ashley's episode. She really spilled the tea on that one. Seriously, right? I know. I I need to have another follow-up chat with her, especially now with some more news that's been dropping. I feel like there's going to be some, some good gossip there, but it was just, I was doing myself a disservice to not at least try and make this happen for myself. So I've just been having fun doing it. It's just so therapeutic and cathartic for me to do the podcast. Yeah. I mean, first of all, what a journey. I mean, everything under the sun. I think it is such a beautiful and happy ending that, you know, you're back to your roots and what you've always sort of, sort of loved. It seems very meant to be very serendipitous, but also like two major setbacks along the way, right? Like finally getting out to LA and all of a sudden this job and security that you thought you were going to have is gone. Then you- get back on the horse, figure it out. You do something for six years, fall in love with it. And then because of COVID, it wasn't really, it didn't pan out. And just when you thought I've figured it out, all of a sudden you're back to the drawing board again. But if that hadn't happened, would you be in the position that you're in now? You know, would you have walked away to do Casey's Corner all over again? Probably not, no, right? So it's almost not, like we no. need those little pushes from the universe. Um, totally. But I think I wonder for you, like, how is it being on the other end right now as I'm interviewing you and asking you questions? Does that get you excited? Does it feel wrong in some sort of way for you? Like, you're not, you're always on the other end of this. You're never usually the one being interviewed, right? I know it's funny because just before our call, I actually was hosting another episode of Casey's Corner. So I was in host mode and I kind of had to take a step out of the guest room here and like re kind of frame myself because it, it is a little bit weird and I have to sometimes take off my question hat yeah. or sometimes like take off the little antidotes like no that's for the host Casey no there's there's some things that I try to peel back when it comes to being a guest versus a host for sure well we can co-host our way through this one baby we can I, do this I as a joint the, effort the Casey and Tracy show could be really fun <laughs> Curly, where do I sign right coast to coast yeah west Listen, we're going to have to have a talk after this. Okay. <laughs> we okay. Good. Let's do it. Um, so now the story, the journey, it's long. There's lots of ups and downs, lots yeah. of, of different parts. Um, I want to kind of break it down into little segments and, and, and talk through um, each, you know, sort of piece by piece. And so starting with, with old school Radio Disney, I mean, that is how I know you. I'm sure that's how a lot of the people listening know you and remember you. I mean, that was just everything. But I'm curious, being so young, um, I'm sure a lot of it seemed very exciting and Mm -hmm. very glamorous. But I mean, what was it really like for you? I mean, you, you were what 11, 12, right? 
Yeah, from 10 to 16 is when I was doing the the show. Wow. So what sort of impact did that have on you, um, be it positive or negative, at a young age? Like, you know, did you do you think you had to mature um, faster in a lot of ways? Do you think you were exposed to more? Or do you think it just, you know, was a great stepping stone for opportunity? I think, so it's funny, I took kind of a deeper dive into this most more recently um just doing my show having been guests on other shows that we kind of talk about really what that experience was like and even in my own personal therapy i'm kind of starting to peel back <laughs> some layers and understanding really how i observed things and yes 100% it made me grow up a little bit faster. Um, I'm an only child. So I feel like that that is just another layer of growing up faster. Yes. You don't have these other influences from a sibling or, you know, other kids to kind of make these. I was around basically I and mean, I was around adults the most. Right. Yeah. So you start to take on the persona of the people you're around. So you're not as immature if you were to have a sibling around, you were with adults. And I realized that I got very good on picking up body language cues from far away. So there were times where we would be, we wouldn't necessarily be locked in for an interview. It was kind of like, let's just get there and see if they'll have time. So I remember being really young and kind of just looking across the room and looking at, you know, what the manager was saying, what their body language was, wondering if that they looked receptive, if they looked back at me, what their reaction was. So I think that that was something that, um, that was a skill that I kind of adapted really early and that went hand in hand with maturing early. Um, one thing, too, that I realized that I didn't notice at the time was how impactful the body image influences were at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was I mean, it was the Y2K era. So it was low rise jeans, butterfly sequin tank tops. Oh, like everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about. Right. All too well. Um, all too well. I know my best friend still makes fun of me that I had those butterfly tank tops. Um, <laughs> but I think that seeing the younger girls of groups like Dream and um, who are some other ones? Well, was it not Danity Kane? Who was the first? So who was the first? Uh, making the band? Making the band. Yeah. Danity Kane. Kane yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Seeing groups like that where these girls were so overly sexualized oh, and yeah. seeing them off stage looked so uncomfortable. Like I remember Jessica Simpson, like I was saying at the hat shell in Boston being backstage and it was raining and she was in this very, you know, tight pants, tube toppy kind of thing. And she just looked so uncomfortable and comments that were made about the girls eating backstage and, you know, hearing, well, I think you've had enough and hearing like, oh, well, that doesn't look so great. I started to internalize this stuff. I'm like, if these girls look like the epitome of perfection to me and I'm nowhere near that, like what is wrong with me? And I definitely started to internalize a lot of that judgment and uh, negative narrative at an early age. What a confusing situation for you to be in too, right? Because right. like you said, you're looking at these girls, they're your idols. They look yeah. fantastic to you, but then you're hearing 
from, you know, who it is, their producers, managers, whatever, you know, hey, stop that, or you shouldn't be eating that. But then at the same Mm -hmm. time, also the public is like striving to look like them. So you're like, wait a second, what do do I look like them? Do I not look like them? Can I eat? Can I not eat it? You're very torn. And it's all it's it's right in your face right so it's like you really can't avoid it it's everywhere you go you're seeing it you're hearing it and you're trying to discern that all on your own that's difficult that's diff. I could see how that could really sit with you for for years to come yeah and it's something that I had never really dug into realizing how much it affected me until more recently when I was really reflecting on my own body image issues and why I was having such a hard time and so, you know, fat phobic and had this fear of gaining weight and then mm-hmm. this obsession with losing weight. And I, you know, it was just this weird battle of where is this coming from? And then looking at the messaging that we were all fed in the Y2K era of, you know, think of all those magazine covers that had 30 seconds to flat abs and hot or not. And poor, I I always, I refer to this image so much because it really affected me. I remember it was probably sophomore year of college when it was that picture of Jennifer Love Hewitt. And I, as soon as I say this, everyone knows exactly know what picture exactly I'm talking about. Going with this. And it's her in the black bathing suit with her back to the camera and they blasted her for having cellulite. Yeah. And I just remember this girl who, again, I thought was the epitome of beauty. Like I love Jennifer Love Hewitt and they're picking her apart. And I was just like, that was the, there was nothing more than just pure body shaming in that whole smear oh yeah that was all over every magazine cover and it really did a number on me I think and that's and a lot of us it I it absolutely can and and especially being so young being impressionable and then you have this really unique perspective of you know I'm sure Jessica looked like everything was great and fine on stage it wasn't until she came backstage when you saw her right wait a second oh exactly so you're kind of you get to see that behind the scenes too and and the reality of the situation versus what's being put out there where not everybody has both like we only see the magazine covers we only see the tv performances to me you know it looks like being that thin is easy for them it's no problem it's no work and that's just how they are you know and no big deal I don't know that their manager's telling them that they better not eat dinner tonight you know because they need to shed a couple extra pounds so when you have that additional context it really does change things for you um and it's I'm glad that you're able to be able to like articulate that now, find the root of where it started and you're working through that. Um, But I I can't imagine what it was like sort of like carrying that with you for for all those years, but I'm glad you're talking about it now. And I think it's important to speak about it um, because at at that point in time, no one was now we're, we're you know we're having more and more and more of it um but it's really like we were just saying you know getting to the root of it and where it all started and why and how can we do better yeah and I think that I have just like so much more sympathy and empathy towards 
these people that are in the spotlight and even just more recently, like I watched Selena Gomez's documentary and my heart broke because there were so many times too, I would see these and I'm going to keep calling them kids because at the time they were kids. Yeah. Yeah. Coming off stage and just being exhausted and wanting to just like sit down and play a video game or wanting to just, you know, watch a movie or be a kid and them have to go on to the next thing. Nope. Next thing, next thing, next thing. So when I watched her documentary, I was like, what is wrong with us as consumers and the industry as a whole that we're putting this constant pressure on all these celebrities that like, and I don't know how that cycle will ever change. It's sad. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, these conversations are important and they are what will eventually perpetuate some, some change hopefully. But yeah, yeah, there, I think there's a lot of um, missteps in the industry um, that have happened over the years. And um, I don't know if this is actually any different for you in particular, but I'm curious, you know, we we're hearing a lot about that, you know, Selena Gomez, the Disney mm-hmm. stars, Disney mm-hmm. in particular. So, um, you know, Disney maybe didn't treat them the way that they should have. Um, from your perspective, working under Disney, did you have a similar experience? Do you, was it, was, you know, radio different than television? I'm curious if you have any um, overall sentiment in terms of your time with Disney. So I would say my personal experience was nothing but positive. Um, Radio Disney was Actually, I believe it was like owned and operated at the time by ABC Network. So oh, and it was kind of okay. for that whole merge thing. And um, so each station was operated by a, a station manager and they had their own d- designated team. It didn't feel very like corporate Big Brother Disney. Um, and every like my producer for the show for Casey's Corner and the station manager and all the like teams there were nothing but supportive. They were family like they, they was, some of them were at my wedding like they it was a really, really great experience. I would say, though, that um, what I witnessed was not necessarily always coming from the big brother Disney. A lot of it was coming mm. from their parents. There was I lots of momagers and dadagers that really were driving their kids hard. And so many times I would hear, you know, them pushing their kids saying, do you realize how lucky you are? They could take this away. So many threats that were scary um, for a kid. And, you know, they're kind of the paycheck for their families with these bigger Disney celebrities. So I get why their parents are riding them hard. But um, I think that so much of the experience really does have to do with the parents. I think you're right. Honestly, I mean, it's alarming to hear that, but you really did. You're you're onto something. They're either the paycheck for the family or they're living out mom and dad's dream when they didn't get to. Right. So there it's like there's this pressure on them 
that really takes away from the ability to be able to just enjoy the experience. Like failure is not an option. You have to make your way to the top because either that's how we're getting, you know, food on the table or that's how you get your parents' um, approval or that's how they become proud of you, right? Oh, exactly. Which is just sickening in a lot of ways um, because they're just kids. They're just just kids. But you, even as a kid, were witnessing that and seeing that, Um, but not necessarily coming from the station or from corporate, really just within their own individual families. Yeah, I would say like I didn't see anything coming from definitely not within the Boston station. Um, And I'm trying to think, I mean, it was a little bit before the Hannah Montana and, (laughs) you know, Jonas Brothers stage, which I feel like that that was really the generation that got hit hard with that kind of I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, Lizzie and Raven is like, and, and, you know, even Steven's like right before they, they got out while they could. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, Christy Carlson Romano has come out many times talking about how the pressure she felt being the breadwinner for her family and how she blew so much of her money because she didn't know how to properly manage her finances as a kid celebrity. So there's, I think there was a lot of growth that has happened, but it's a little messy when it comes to if your, if your parents aren't, if their parents' intentions aren't in the best place. Yeah. Um, And you shared a story with me when we were chatting um, prior to today, um, which I kind of think might be your answer to this, but I'm curious about what is your overall fondest memory um, during this experience? You had mentioned something to me about Kelly, and I wonder if that's what you were going to say. Um, I just thought it was so sweet and such such a kind story and gives you sort of restores faith in a lot of ways. A hundred percent. So I had the opportunity to meet Destiny's Child when this is telling how old it is. Uh, They were opening for Christina Aguilera at the Tweeter Center. And again, how old it is, because I probably had like five name changes since then. And they were opening for her. And Chris, do you remember like this? point in time where Christina kept canceling her concerts because yes. she kept getting laryngitis. Yes. Yeah. So they canceled the show, but they were still on scene so or on set. So I got the chance to go in and this was right after they had dropped from the second set of four to three, like a week Not later. Not the first, but the second. Not the first set of four, the second <laughs> set of four. So it was Michelle, Kelly, and Beyonce. And when I talk about momagers and dadagers who are terrible, Matthew Knowles is the opposite. Him and Tina, was, you know, he and Tina Knowles were together at the time. They were phenomenal. They were so warm and so welcoming. And it completely shined through on the girls. Um, they were so hospitable. They were so sweet. And I had a great interview. And then a couple, let's see, it was probably a, about a year later, Um, they were then headlining the TRL tour. I just keep on dating myself. Uh, they they were headlining the TRL tour and I was there interviewing other groups because they were, I was told Destiny's Child was coming in late. They wouldn't be taking any interviews. So I was backstage again at the Twitter center and I interviewed, who was it there? Like Bewitched and Hoku. (gasps) Oh my God. Oh Yeah. How many reels are there about how dirty that song really is, right? Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Exactly. Come on. How did we not know? Uh, anyway, so I see them get escorted in Destiny's Child backstage. And Kelly looked back and she goes, oh, Casey, Radio Disney, are you here to interview us again? And of course, I'm shocked that this superstar even knows who I am. And I said, no, you know, they said you guys don't have time. And she goes, for you, we have time. Let's go. And she brings me back to their dressing room. They're like shuffling everything around. They sit down. It was the week of my birthday. They sang happy birthday to me. They gave me the best interview. And little like 12-year-old me was the only interview that Destiny's Child did the entire uh, show. So that is that incredible. Yeah, that's my favorite Radio Disney story for sure. I loved that story when you said that to me. I mean, I just think like Kelly is, you can just tell when people are good people. And Kelly, I feel like she's never gotten enough credit. She's always been like outshined. And she's just such a good person from what I like see her interviews and stuff. And then when you told me that, it like it validated everything. And I just thought she needs, that that story needs to be told more. People need to know how wonderful she is, but also how cool for for you like Kelly Rowland was like Casey get over here made an exception and made the time for you that's really really special it was amazing and I I hope that there's going to be an opportunity for our paths to cross again because I want to share with her how much of an impact that that story has made and Yeah, she is. She is. She's amazing. And one thing that I people always ask about Beyonce and assume that she's such a diva. I'm like, Beyonce is actually, at least at the time, extremely quiet, so reserved. Like Kelly was the only one. Oh, yeah. Beyonce was very, very quiet and reserved backstage Um, in a very kind way. She was just very mild mannered. So I think that there was, you know, a little a, a little bit of a. What is what's her stage name? Like Sasha Fierce, right? Like right, she was right, developing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You come on stage and it just thing. like, yeah, you yeah. just own that persona. Totally. Yeah. That is really cool. Okay, so I want to pivot a little bit now. Um, you know, we've been talking about the impact that a family has on, um, you know, young children as they're working. You're talking about having a momager or a dadager. Um, you are a mom now. You have an almost six-year-old, a little sweet girl, and um, you have now, as you've revived Casey's Corner, also really sort of coined this term of millennial mom. And I'm curious for you, you know, what that means. What, What to you is a millennial mom? So I had a really hard time with the term, if I'm being honest, because Millennial has such a negative connotation. And really, based on that whole chart that's out there of generations, we're Generation Y, which is ironic because we ask a lot of questions. So like, yes, we are Generation (laughs) Y. And I think it was about 10 or 11 years ago, the term millennial got coined for our age group. And there's just such this connotation of vapid selfies against a pink wall and avocado toast and (laughs) all these things that really are so devaluing to our generation. And I realized that as a mom and a millennial, I have this very interesting, unique perspective of having lived with dial-up and blockbuster and AOL and seeing the birth of social media. And really, I mean, I'm sure you know, and your listeners know, being in a Boston school in 2000, 
six, we were some of the first people to get Facebook. Yes. And that's been like a really interesting thing for me to uh, explain to a lot of people is like, no, you had to have a, I think there were 20 schools in Boston that got access to Facebook early. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, Emerson and Su- I went to Suffolk freshman year, Emerson the rest of the time, but we got Facebook early and seeing that evolution has been extremely powerful and empowering too. But I look at it as being a millennial mom I have a responsibility to be the bridge between generations, right? There's this boomer mentality of the parents we were raised by where it's, you know, well, they say that you need to have your kid eating this at this point. They say the pacifier should be out at this point. I'm like, who's the they? I want to get rid of the proverbial they (laughs) and show upcoming generations that we are completely empowered to do this whole parenting thing our own way. It is not one size fits all. No two kids are the same. We are completely, um, we're in a different boat than a lot of the generations before us. We are the kids that are moving, we're moving across the country. (laughs) We don't have this little village to help raise our kids and to help influence the way we raise our kids. So we have to kind of figure out how to do it on our own. So yeah, there's this difficulty between, you know, comparing ourselves on social media as parents and seeing these the way that other people are parenting, but also giving ourselves the grace to do it on our own terms. Yeah, I mean, I when you said we're sort of the bridge between these generations, I absolutely love that. And I, I feel like that really hits like that is such a perfect way to describe it because really our generation has had this sort of hybrid experience you know we are the you know the, the beginning half of our lives was very similar to those boomers because we didn't have the technology like they didn't, right? And so we had to do things the hard way or the roundabout way, or right? You know, we had to, you had to go to the library and look things up in the encyclopedia. Right. You didn't have Google. Like that was our experience growing up. Um, but then, of course, there was a shift and things have changed. And now we had to learn. We had to adapt, unlike the following generations underneath us who all they've ever known is technology so if you know there's a blackout and there's no power and they have no phones do they know what to fall back on and to rely to rely on I think it's we have such this like hidden strength of we can do both we can shift to either and um there's that doesn't get praised or celebrated enough it's almost as no. if we are just like we're like the middle child you know like that that's how totally. I feel it's like we're just totally. the middle child we get overlooked we are yeah and I think that that's it too is that there's almost a little bit of an intimidation factor I think that millennials bring because we do have the experience of both sides and that this negative connotation of like, oh, millennials are so lazy. Millennials don't do this, whatever. It's a narrative that the boomers are putting on to us and older generations are putting on, I think, to kind of keep us a little bit down and not be so progressive and keep things a little bit safer and not bring so much change forward. Right. And I then agree. I don't know. And then right? I, look I mean, at these like younger generations mm-hmm. who are kind of, uh, poking fun at millennials and being like, oh, millennials with their side parts and their 
their skinny jeans or whatever it is. And I'm like, why, why are we keeping us down? Relax. We're I not know. coming to take over your TikTok. We're always Relax. taking the beatings. We're always taking the beatings. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. But I think yeah. like that, um, our sort of willingness to lean into the technology almost gets looked at as taking the easy way out or like not having right. this work ethic. Like, oh, we stopped doing things the hard way. Um, and now we're relying on technology to do it for us. But it, it really wasn't, you know, intended to be like that. It was growing with the time, like we said, like adapting and learning. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot of things that get looked at as a negative where it really should be yeah. sort of reframed into something, something positive. And I love, that, you know, we have a little bit of both because I think it's always about being well-rounded, you know, and we can yeah. do it all. And then that sort of brings back to like being that millennial mom, like you really can have it all. You know, we've, this generation has also really changed what it looks like to be a mom. And I love that you are embracing that and you're putting so much power behind that because there's shouldn't be a any shame in being a stay at home mom, but also being a stay at home mom doesn't mean you don't have hobbies, you don't have interests, you don't have passions, you're not, um, you know, still working, right? Maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the stay at home mom isn't always the breadwinner, so to speak, but she's still out there. She's hustling. She's doing stuff. And honestly, if, even if she's, just at home with the kids that is a full-time job and I feel like that needs to get spoken about more and more because totally it's a hustle it's a constant it's it's not nine to five I'll tell you that no sick days either. Let me tell no you. No sick days. No sick days. We, I, My husband and I make this joke all the time that, you know, uh, if we want to go somewhere, I'm like, let me see if I have any PTO. I don't know. <laughs> I have to see if there's anyone who can cover my shift. Um, and it's hard because there there is a very, again, negative connotation to stay at home moms. And even when I you know, we kind of came out of the pandemic and we made a joke that I was now retired. And it was that realization of like, who else is going to do this stuff? What is, and trying to figure out what my value was because I was no longer bringing home a paycheck. So maybe I don't get a paycheck every week, but I still make this very different contribution to our family that we would have to be outsourcing if I was working full time. I mean, again, we don't have family here. So who's going to be picking up my daughter from after school care or who's going to be bringing her to dance class or whatever it might be? Who's going to be walking the new dog, right? Yes, Um, exactly. so, So it's been a big shift of trying to figure out what my value is outside of corporate America and outside of a regular nine to five career. Um, But I think that there's, there's a lot of other moms who feel this very same way and feel like, I feel a little bit guilty when they're not just so overjoyed by being a mom. (laughs) Like, come on. Oh my God. And I know that there are moms that are totally that's their shtick, but that's not me. Yeah, That's not me at all. I needed something more, which is why I turned to what I know, which is branding and marketing and production and figured out a way to make it work for myself. I don't think that there should be anything wrong with still wanting to maintain some sort of your own identity and independence. Being a mom is such a wonderful, beautiful thing. And I'm sure you wouldn't trade any minute of it for anything in the world. But that doesn't mean that Casey just goes away. You're not only mom. 
your your mom and all the other different parts of you, right? And so like, why can't you do both? And it's important for your sanity to still have those things that are for yourself. I mean, I'm sort of at that age where my girlfriends are all starting to have kids. And um, one of my girlfriends, I'll just never forget, she was just like, can we just talk on the phone for 30 minutes because I just need to talk to an adult. Like I just, totally. I, I love yes. my baby so much and he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. But if I hear like goo goo gaga and like crying and whining for for the rest of my afternoon, I'm gonna lose it. I just wanna talk to like a real person, you know? That's part of just maintaining your sanity. And I think, mm. you know, if that's the bare minimum that you need to do, that's great. But if you still have ambition and drive and you wanna do these other things outside of that, that's even better. And I love that mm. you're just like really leaning into that and getting in, get into that in this like phase of your life. And you're, you know, you're starting with something that you know that sort of always lit this fire inside for you and it's taken off. So let's talk a little bit about that now. I mean, like for, for your podcast now, Casey's Corner, um, how did you get it started again? Where where did you start when you were like, okay, I think I got to do this? So I just, I felt this gnawing in my stomach that was just like, I need to figure it out. I have always dreamed of having my own talk show. I no longer have the excuses of, oh, I need to be on some sort of network. I need to have this studio. I need to be able to, you know, have it bring in a big paycheck. And I no longer, I have a phone in my hand. That's literally all I needed to do to start a talk show. And I started it off on Instagram. I was doing Instagram lives with my guests, which was great because I was pulling in their audience and my audience. And um, it was really great to build, but I wish the technology would have kept up with me. It just wasn't sustainable for that kind of format mm -hmm. of doing like a talk show, um, audio glitches, whatever it might be. So I kind of pivoted and put it more towards the podcast space because as we are seeing right here, it's where it's at. Um, <laughs> so I was initially interviewing a lot of people. Like I said, I reached out to some old guests and told them that I was rebooting and how much interviewing them as a kid meant to me. And I had them come on. Um, I was interviewing a lot of people in the Disney space, just Disney influencers and some other po Disney podcasters. And then at one point, I shared a story about my body image issues, my weight loss journey, and quitting keto because I had built a big part of my Instagram following throughout my keto journey um, from 2019 through you know the end of 2020. And I had lost 40 pounds. I felt great. I was promoting all these products that you know helped me get there. Yeah. And I was sharing before and after pictures and. It, Something hit me one day where I realized that my before picture could be someone's goal. And to put a negative connotation on anybody, whether it be my body or someone else's, started to feel really icky. And I didn't want to be in a place where I was talking about diet culture and making people feel less than. So I did an episode where it was just me and a microphone, no guest, and just talked about how I was making this personal goal and personal, you know, sticking a flag kind of in this like ditching diet culture. And the response I got from that was insane. And I started to realize that 
more and more women have similar stories. They want to hear these kind of stories. They want to hear more about relatable topics. So that's when I kind of pivoted and made it a little bit more about that millennial mom space and took the name of the millennial mom because no one else was taking it. I'm like, hell, I'll take it. (laughs) Um, so now, like when I do segments on KTLA out here and stuff, I'll I'll use the millennial mom and kind of works that into the show and into my own personal branding because it's something that's actually very powerful to me. So yeah. that's kind of been the evolution of where Casey's Corner is now. I love that. And especially being the mom, I think, of a daughter and thinking yeah. about your experience when you were a kid, um, it's it means it will mean so much to her. She's probably not even understanding all the positive things that you're doing for her right now. But ultimately, down the road, it will mean so much to her to know that this was important to you. And this was something that you wanted to create change around because you hope that when she does get to that place in her life where she starts thinking about her body, the world's a little bit more of a, of a kinder place. Right. And like you're exactly. working towards that. Um, so I'm curious, like, does, does being a mom sort of impact your work ethic? Does it either change how you work or maybe the things you want to work on, um, while still sort of staying true to yourself? Yeah, I've had to kind of shift my priorities a little bit. And I mean, not a little bit, a lot, but I'm also giving myself the grace to shift those priorities, right? So I was so, I was doing like two shows a week. I was then guesting on other shows throughout the week. And I realized I'm like, wait, why? I can scale back. I can say, you know what, this guest isn't as well aligned as I thought they would be, or I feel like maybe there's too many episodes about a similar topic. And I can say no, I can say, hey, sorry, this one isn't, you know, this isn't the right time for it right now, or prioritizing family. I took two weeks off with the past, you know, with Thanksgiving and getting the dog and everything because I didn't feel like that's what was going to serve me best. And why would it, why would I want to add something on that was going to stress me out and take time away from being with my daughter and my family and just like add another stressor if I have no boss telling me this needs to get done. Right. So I kind of took that approach where I'm like, this, I know a lot of people are like, oh, my podcast is my job. I look at it as like, it's my hobby. And I'm okay with that because I I look at my husband who golfs. Sure. He dumps money into golf, right? So sure. I dump money into my equipment and into (laughs) different services that I have for my podcast. And I do it because it makes me feel good. I do it because I know that I enjoy it. I'm good at it. So those are the kind of things, the shift that I've had to make as far as letting parenting and my own professional goals kind of align is, you know, I heard, I interviewed someone and they gave me this quote and I told them I was stealing it. So I'm going to share it with you is that, um, parenting and really, I feel like this could be used for adulthood overall. It's not about finding balance. It is about finding harmony and picturing life as like a symphony where sometimes the horns are going to be louder. Sometimes the strings are going to be louder. 
different things will be louder and softer throughout your life based on what needs to be heard. And when that clicked, I was like, that's exactly it. So there are times where, sure, the show is going to be my priority and I'm going to crank out episodes. I'm going to get everything in the can so that I can schedule them out and be good. And then I can kind of coast for a little bit and put my energy into something else. So that's that's been a new kind of uh, mindset shift that I've been adopting. That's been really helpful. I am so glad you shared that. I love that mentality. That really changes things because you're right. It it's, does. it's it's letting everything work together, you know, and and not having it be like, oh, well, I need to do this or this. Why can't mm-hmm. we let them all live in peace amongst one another? That's really cool. And also, I praise you for sort of like taking that step back because I think that there's something to be said too about like the quality of what you're putting out there when you're burnt out, when you're not a hundred percent in it. So really you're, you're adding more value to your final, you know, episode or final product, right? When you've allowed yourself that time to take a step back and to rest, um, rather than doing it because it feels like an obligation or you feel like you're supposed to, you know? So um, you being able to really work your your way through that I think has a larger benefit than than you realize you know not even just for yourself but for what people see and what people hear too you know yeah it's felt good and I think that there there's been a few moments too where I'm like am I adding value or am I adding to the noise yeah so there's that's kind of a a different shift that I've taken in my social media too, where I always felt that pressure. I have to post every single day and at a certain time and add the right hashtags and blah, blah, blah. Um, And now I'm like, I'm going to post what feels a little bit more authentic, what feels a little less cluttered and feels more valuable. And if it's not going to be every day, then it's not going to be every day, but at least it's going to feel better doing it. Yeah. I'm curious, um, you know, on this show in particular, we sort of talk a lot about like, whatever you want your journey to be is what it should be. So if people want kids, if they don't want kids, if they want kids later, if they want kids early, like this is a safe space and community for whatever works for people. So um, I I love that like you are such a, you are a mom and you're so proud of it, but you're also so many other things. But um, for the, the folks that are listening that you either do want to have kids or have already had kids, I'm curious what your sort of go-to piece of advice would be for mothers, particularly new moms. You know, maybe they're younger, maybe they're having them older. It doesn't really matter when in their life they're having their kids, but someone who's sort of new to the mom space, what would be the thing that, you know, you sort of wish that someone told you when you just first had your daughter, you know? Okay, I'll give you like the real answer. But what I always tell my friends whenever they find out that they're pregnant or they have a baby and the first few months are just terrible, I just remind them that crackheads have babies all the time. <laughs> and but, but I'm like, you can't mess them up, really. Right, really, right. Really, like, you, they don't break very easily. Everyone is so fragile with their babies. And I've learned, I was too, I was terrified to like put her arm in a onesie. They're yeah. so babies are super durable but no in all honesty is you have to find what works for you and don't let anyone else sway you differently there is always going to be a dump of unsolicited parenting advice and 
I always say like take parenting advice like tequila always with a grain of salt <laughs> because you you need to realize that this the advice you're getting is based on that person's individual experience and your experience could be completely different. So, you know, don't get hung up on the they says and the I should be doing this or well, what ifs, because that's what's going to drive you crazy. So take one day at a time. The days feel long, but the weeks are short. The months are shorter and the years fly by. Um, and there is there one thing that feels like if something's never going to end like you feel like they're never going to not have their pacifier they're never going to sleep through the night they're never going to potty train they're not going to walk down the aisle with a pacifier in the mouth and <laughs> so it it happens it and will happen yeah it will happen and give yourself and your kids grace to see it through that is very wonderful advice. I have another question that I want to ask you from your opinion and from your point of view. But, um, you know, we have um, a relatable story in that we sort of picked up and moved across the country and just sort of went for it, didn't know anybody. And yeah. I know for me, that was difficult because I went at 25 and we're not you know, in the safe setting of high school and college. And um, ev not everybody is trying to make new friends as we get older. Yeah. And that becomes difficult. I've had um, a friend on the show here before me sort of talk about just making friends in your 30s, which is hard enough to do on in itself, but especially when you're in a brand new place and you don't know anybody you don't know yeah. where to look and for somebody who um you know was going to work at this job and then that sort of fell through so it's not even like you're you know meeting them at work or in in that sort of right. setting um but then what I also found was in LA in particular when I started to think that I was making friends I'd start to see their true colors. And uh -huh. so you have to really weed through the group yeah. to find the good ones. And it takes time um, for people that are looking to like find their community and, and make new friends and add new people and relationships into their lives. Um, what would be your advice in sort of that vetting process and, and how to and sort of what things to look for? Well, I have to say just in regards to the LA scene, oh. um, I was told when we came out and did, my husband and I, we did internships in college the summer before senior year out here in LA. And we sublet part of an apartment with this other girl. And she had been living out here for quite a while. And she said, listen, you have to have a really good bullshit radar in mm -hmm. LA because everyone is going to try and tell you that there's someone can do something. They know someone and you have to find out who really has your back. And I've been very fortunate. I think that we have built this amazing family. I call them my family out here. Um, and my advice though, as far as like finding those people is a good way to do it is hand out tequila shots at a kid's birthday party and see who <laughs> participates. <laughs> that helps. That is um, funny. <laughs> because then you know who your people are if that's your scene. No, I'm just joking. But I always look at the fact of there are friends for a reason, friends for a season, and friends for a lifetime. And you can find your friends 
through work, right? And those are going to be because they're there. They're friends for a reason. They're convenient. Um, It could be friends that you just happen to meet in your kid's class or in mommy and me, whatever. And then the seasons, they stick around for a little bit longer. Maybe it's you're friends with them while you're a mom and your kids are in school together and you're kind of growing up together. And then out of that, maybe you get your lifers, which happen too. And don't be afraid. I think this is important. And this is something that I'm still kind of struggling with is don't be afraid to let go of friendships that don't work for you anymore. It's hard. I'm still trying to figure out how to let some of them go, but you have to really find the friends that make you feel good, that build you up. They don't have to be your besties. Like, that's the other thing. I think that we all are so used to that. Like, I know you and I talked about it, right? We're used to like the top eight from my yeah. and the, your fab five from T-Mobile or whatever it was. Um, yes, we yes. Totally we have to barking. used to write everyone's initials in your buddy aim profile. And like, yeah, oh the order yes. mattered. Oh, my oh. gosh. And it, my my girlfriend and I, one of my best friends, we were talking about how, remember like your school agenda and you would have those little, did you ever do that? Like put the little yes! animated looking characters based on, I'm really hoping that everyone knows what I'm talking about, but um, have, have those on your agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You got to find those. Um, so, you know, it's not about that anymore. You need to just find quality and Uh, one of my mentors told me this about forming a personal advisory board and basically kind of having your circle of people. They don't even have to know each other, but like the person that you can go to to say, hey, does this outfit look good? Or the person that you can go to to talk about your marriage or to talk about relationship stuff, the person you can go to talk about parenting stuff, the person you can go to talk to about professional things. They don't have to all be the same person, but it's good to kind of create this little personal advisory board that can kind of help get you through things. I love when you had said that I I never had called it or, or used that term but I, I do say that often that like in this stage of my life you know all of my friends are my best friends I don't it's not like right. we're, when we're young you know where it's like I have to have the one best friend all of my friends are considered my best friends you know because your tight your circle gets tighter and tighter right. so now the people that are in my life are my best friends but I do have that person that I go to when I'm looking for professional advice for dating advice for you know the person that like I just I know they're a great sounding board and I can vent to them that one person yeah. you know for all those little things but it really is this personal advisory board it's just such a it's such a great term to use and I think that's that's so I think it's smart to handle it that way I really do think because I know you know I'm very aware of my flaws I know none of my friends should be coming to me when they're talking about budgeting because I'm not the person (laughs) to ask right Right. so how could I possibly expect my girlfriends to come to me for every single thing I know that I have my areas where I'm a little weaker in and then I have my strengths so why aren't we using that same approach when it comes to, um, you know, who we, who reach out to for, for certain things. Um, but also I was, I was giggling inside when you were saying that passing out tequila shots at a, at a birthday party, because one of my girlfriends, she was like, I got this invitation for, uh, her son's four for a birthday party. And on the invitation, it says, we will have water bottles and spindrifts, um, for, for parents. And so she's like, does that mean, 
they're not providing <laughs> alcohol? Does that mean I have to bring my own alcohol? Does that mean that we're not having alcohol? She was like, what do I do? I don't know how to act. And if these people are not allowing alcohol at a kid's birthday party, then I don't see my kid being friends with their kid very long. She's like, I just don't think this, this is we're going to jive. She's like, Before I don't know what I to do. Kids, I didn't realize that like having alcohol at a kid's birthday party was a thing. And then I was like, oh, wait, how is it not a thing? It's got to be a thing. <laughs> right? They're all got, running around. You it. need something for the parents. It's only fair. Totally. It's only right. Oh, my gosh. And well, it's only going to be the non-parents who are going to be judgy about yeah, that yeah, comment. Yeah. I just got to say, you don't know until you know. I love it. I could talk to you forever and ever and ever. I can't believe <laughs> I how long we've already been going on. I wish we had all the time in the world because I could keep going. But this has been so much fun. You have so many great stories. You have so much wonderful advice. And I, I hope that everyone will go and listen to your podcast. Where can they listen to it? They can find uh, Casey's Corner, Casey with a K, Corner with a K, uh, anywhere you're listening to podcasts. And you can find daily content on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at It's Casey Potts. Perfect. And then anything like coming up that, you know, we can either another event or something where we can um, listen or watch and see you. Um, hoping to do some fun stuff around the holidays on KTLA here, which is the number one morning show in local morning show in the country. Obviously the today shows and stuff get the bigger ones, but <laughs> uh, I'm really excited to have been partnering up with them and some new episodes coming out in the next few weeks. We have, we're talking money. We're talking, uh, foster care, which is a really cool topic. Kennedy and I just did a big donation to a foster care place Aww. up here. So yeah, some fun topics that we're going to be covering. Perfect. Kennedy is her daughter, by the way. Yes, that, Kennedy okay. is my daughter. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again so much. Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next week.